Welcome to the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This week we'll be featuring sermons from our recent International Bible Conference in Chandler, Arizona, hosted by the Door Church and pastored by Joe Campbell. We're making these powerful messages available to both our free and premium subscribers. We'll return to our regular schedule next week. Thanks for listening and for your support of world evangelism. We hope you enjoy these messages. Hallelujah. When you, when you have four brothers, you never know what they're going to say. <laughs> Hallelujah. And so it is a great honor, as always, to be able to come here to Chandler and to the Chandler Conference, great, one of the great mother churches of our fellowship. I was just blessed to get a chance to go and see Pastor Campbell. You all are blessed. Can you say amen? Amen. amen. You know, I, I was uh, th- thinking about it, you know, uh, you know, Pastor Campbell would have been fine. God had mercy in all of us. And, uh, and so we thank God for that. And uh, man, appreciate your pastor. I, I was thinking, I, I can't understand why he might have had this kind of um, attack because I know for a fact that the Chandler Church and the Chandler Church has never stressed Pastor Campbell out at all. And, uh, and so it's, it's, a, it's a mystery uh, as to what goes on there anyway I, I he's there and I said uh, are, you, are you here you know he's I mean are you here are you are you you know and he just laughs and so anyway be nice hallelujah all right Psalms 23 we'll go there in the word of God Psalms 23 and believe God to help us uh this morning and believe God uh, you know uh we had this uh problem and it's still an issue, and that is uh, what they were calling the supply chain uh, problem. You have the high inflation. You, how many have ever gone into a, 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 you know, a place and the, the staff is it's understaffed and the people that uh, are there are filled with demons? And, and <laughs> we feel this. We feel this sense that things aren't uh, uh, quite right. Um, but what's really interesting is because of that, I remember uh, I had taken my wife's car in to get the oil change uh, maybe a year and a half ago. And so while I'm waiting, I wandered over to the other side of the dealership uh, and just to start looking at a couple of cars they had there. And the uh, salesman walked over to me and we were talking, and then he said to me, look, I just want you to know that we only have one car on the lot, and in a couple of months, we hope to get a couple more. And, and so this kind of thing, what this does is whenever there's a situation, it, it always finds expression in new businesses. And one of the things that I was reading was about how the ability to fix or to repair something, all of a sudden, that began to be a, a, a very valued uh, a skill. Because people aren't buying new anymore. They can't get anything new or it's too expensive. And so if you know how to repair something, uh, then all of a sudden now you are very marketable. So I want you to think about that in light of what I'm going to preach on this morning. I want to go on record and say that I love cheeseburgers. And that San Antonio is a burger town. And what I mean by that is that there's lots of independent uh, burger joints that are there. And there's always a, a, a heavy competition. If you want good burgers or barbecue, come to San Antonio or basketball in the future. Anyway, I'm just, 
I'm not going to mention the sons. I'm not going to bring up the sons. We're having victory here this week. And, um, you know, but, but uh, I like burgers. And in my opinion, the best cheeseburger in San Antonio was a place called Tiago's. Anybody ever been to Tiago's? Okay, so this place is right around the corner. It's actually supposed to be one of those California Mexican restaurants, which means they make shrimp tacos. But uh, that's what it—that's it, what it does. But they had this tremendous cheeseburger, man, tremendous. They were right around the corner from our church. We'd run over there on Sunday afternoons, uh, you know, and it was uh, great. And then during COVID, it didn't survive, and so that was vex. That's how I felt. And, uh, but they had another one way up on the other side of San Antonio. And the one day Yolanda and I are way up on the Northwest side of town. And we are saying, you know, Tiago's is nearby. What if I just call in an order? So we called in the order. I, I went over there to pick it up. I walk into the Tiago's, you know, it looks pretty much the same as the other one. I went in there, I got my food, you know, um, left and you know what? It was a tremendous cheeseburger. It was so good that the next day I was telling my staff about the burger and how much I enjoyed it. Only about a week later, Miguel Martinez, one of my assistants, came to me and said, Pastor, I was in the area. I thought about it, so I decided to go over there, and they're closed down. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And, and the, what, this is what inspired this sermon. <laughs> Not, I just said I'm hungry, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> what inspired the sermon was this. When I walked into that restaurant, I saw nothing that suggested it was about to close down. You know, it wasn't like the waitresses were in the corner smoking a cigarette, you know. <laughs> Dishes were piled up everywhere, you know, and it was unkempt, and everybody was depressed. There was nothing. You walked in. Everything seemed totally normal. And then a week later, he says to me, they're closed down. And when he said that, I began to think about it because it's not just true with restaurants. Sometimes it's true with people. That it is possible to look at somebody and, have, and, and, and be, uh, not realize how close they are or that they're about ready to shut down. That it's possible to happen to pastors and pastors' wives. That we're not careful, we can look a certain way uh, on the outside, but something terribly is wrong on the inside. I want to preach a sermon called Soul Repair, Psalms 23, and we're going to look at just one verse. I've been preaching sermons out of every characteristic in here. I'm only not even halfway through, but God really, really, uh, 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 I felt God just really helped people and I believe God won. I, was, I actually asked the young men, uh, I sent them a different notes, but this morning when I woke up, God spoke to me, you need to preach this. Verse three, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God, help us this morning. I thank you for this church. God, I thank you for these brethren, for their impact. God, we are here this week to not look good on the outside, but to be healed on the inside. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen. First of all, we have a, a soul. Now, here we have Psalms 23. It is the most famous psalm. It is the psalm where people turn to find comfort um, in this powerful expression of how much God cares for his people. 
I believe this is uh, David here who, as a shepherd, um, who had many private moments um, with his flock um, in the field um, praying, and he caught a revelation, and that revelation was pretty simple, that the same way he cared for the sheep, God cared for him. The words of this psalm emphasize God's care to provide and to protect us. Uh, thank God. Amen. I just buried a brother that had been in our church for 32 years uh, last week, or did his dedication, I should say, and uh, everybody wants uh, this psalm spoken over their loved one uh, at the very end. I will dwell in the house of the Lord uh, forever. But there is a statement made in this psalm uh, that helps us to understand what uh, David is referring to, because this psalm uh, is not about... Uh, animals. Uh, it is about God's care for people. It is about his care for you and I. Our scripture says, uh, he restores my soul. Now, I'm going to make a statement here right now. Uh, don't drag me to the cliff to throw me over. Uh, but uh, animals don't have a soul. I told you some of you are going to get mad. Animals don't have a soul. This is why this is about people. Uh, it is not about animals. I know what you're saying with my dog. Your dog doesn't have a soul, man. Okay. <laughs> don't walk out. Genesis 2, 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That is what God did. That is what separates us from the rest of his creation. God breathed into us a soul, and a soul is a piece of eternity. You have a soul, and I'm going to give you three truths about a soul to get us started this morning. Number one, the soul is the inner you. The soul is who you are on the inside, or I should put it this way, it is who you really are. The apostle Paul, when he prayed for people in Ephesians, he said that God would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. You and I have an inner man. That is our soul. And when he prayed, uh, he really cared about what was happening uh, in our soul. We know that the apostle Paul, uh, when he was uh, 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 talking about death, uh, he described it like moving out of a house. He says that your body is the house. When you die, your soul leaves the house and, thank God, moves into a much better one. But the truth is, who you are is who you are on the inside. It is your consciousness. It is your awareness. It is your thoughts. All those things that are inside of you is who you really are. Number two. Number one, the soul is the inner you. Number two, the soul is hidden. And because his soul is hidden, it is often overlooked uh, by the material world that you and I live in. We live in a world of, of the five senses. We, live in the, we walk around where people look at us on the outside. We judge everything uh, by its physical appearance. Uh, and yet, who you really are uh, is something that nobody sees. Uh, they cannot see your soul, and you cannot see their soul. Billy Graham said, we take excellent care of our bodies, which we have for only a lifetime, yet we let our soul shrivel, which we will have for eternity. 
How many know it is possible to look good on the outside and be all messed up uh, on the inside? You can come to a Bible conference like this, uh, glad-handing, slapping people on the back. Uh, How are you doing, brother? Uh, It's so good to see you, bro hug, uh, and do all these things. uh, And yet on the inside, you could be dying. You could have all kinds of problems, uh, but people don't know that uh, because we say they're here, they're at conference, uh, they're talking, you know, they're not walking, sitting in the corner by themselves, pretending like they're reading the Bible, even though it's upside down. You know, they're... they're (laughs) You know, they're here and they're, oh, they must be doing good. David said in Psalms 1, 42, verse 4, nobody cares for my soul. Let's think about that statement. The Bible tells us this is at the cave at Agilum. David, the young man, that's father, didn't even think enough of him to even let him go to the, uh, uh, to the, to the dinner where uh, Samuel was going to come. And, and then next thing you know, he's anointed. Uh, he goes a few years later and he kills a giant. He goes, uh, never goes home. He goes back to the palace where he begins to lead the armies in the battle. The princess falls in love with him and he gets married. He is on the ascendancy. Everybody loves him. The girls are singing songs about him. Oh, everything's going on uh, until uh, we know his father-in-law, the king, becomes jealous of him, accuses him falsely of being a rebel. He is on the run. He goes into the cave uh, and he makes this profound statement. Uh, He says, you know what? Uh, I had fame. People wanted, liked me. People cheered me. People admired me. People loved me. uh, But nobody cared for my soul. In other words, that, you know, I, I, that would be the cry of every entertainer today, of every top athlete, that every, it's all what you can do, how you can perform, how you look. And yet here is this man says, well, in all of that, nobody cares for my soul. We're so emphasizing the changing how we look on the outside, we don't even care about what's going on the inside. Jesus said, that your soul is more important than your body. How many believe that? Your soul is more important than your body. Matthew 10, 28, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. How clear can he have to be? That when he looks at us, beloved, he sees souls. He sees souls. He doesn't see the outside. He sees the inside. Number three, your soul's the inner you, your soul is hidden. And number three, the soul is eternal. Our souls have an eternal quality to it. Your soul will exist forever. I don't care what the Jehovah's Witness says. Uh, I don't care what the atheist says or the nihilist says. Uh, your soul will exist somewhere forever. Uh, and all you got to do is turn to Revelation chapter 6. Uh, remember, John has this vision uh, on the Isle of Patmos, uh, the book of Revelation, which literally means to pull back the curtain. And God allows the curtain to be pulled back, not just the curtain uh, into judgment, but it is the curtain uh, into heaven. And when he gets there and he begins to look at what happens after death, uh, he says these words in verse 9, I saw under the altar the souls, 
of those who had been slain for the word of God. He said, when I looked up into eternity, uh, I saw souls. I didn't see black men or white men or Mexicans. I didn't see male or female, rich uh, or poor, tall or short. I didn't see any physical attributes at all. I saw souls. That is what matters. This thing on the outside is passing away. Let's talk for then about damaged souls. Because our text here is about the neglected soul, isn't it? Or souls that need restoration. Or souls that are suffering. Something's gone wrong. This soul, this, this uh, David is referring, and he says that, that, there, that my soul needed help. Something was missing. The world we live in places such an emphasis on the outside and on the immediate that the soul is forgotten. I sit down and talk to young people all the time that are about to blow up their life, but they're so uh, uh, moved by their emotions and by some momentary situation uh, that they want to do. And, you're and, and at that point, all that matters to them uh, is how they feel. They don't even care about their soul. Let me make an observation to you this morning. Show me somebody that emphasizes the outside, and I'll show you somebody that's covering up something broken on the inside. All you need to know about how bad things are today is look what people do on the outside. I don't believe Christians ought to get tattoos. Amen. I don't believe, let me say it again. I don't believe Christians ought to get tattoos. You know, there was a whole movement a few years ago in the, in, the, in the hipster church, you know, where pastors were actually getting tattoos while they were giving their sermon. And everybody, you know, there was a young man that, that uh, uh, God had powerfully touched his kid. Powerful. I had a chance to pray with him. He had such a dramatic conversion. And he was serving God and doing well. He was still a teenager and I guess made the mistake of going to a Christian school and uh, met a girl from another church, and, they, and so he followed her after graduation to her, her, to her church. It was one of these cool rock and roll churches, and, and I ran into the guy at the store, and this guy had the whole sleeve, and pastor, this is my, t and I, it, it broke my heart. Let me tell you again, when somebody is so into the outside, something's broken on the inside. Piercings everywhere. You ever talk to somebody and they look like they have a mocha? And it's like, what, what are you doing, man? He's like, yeah, you, just want to put the, you just want to put the menu down and say, I'm not hungry, man. These girls get so caught up in the cosmetic thing. Now listen, if the barn needs painting, paint it. That's our doctrine. We get that. But I'm telling you, there's a spirit this obsession with the outside. We're not careful in our fellowship in a few years uh, that people will be going off getting surgeries because something's broken on the inside. You know, the Gadarene was naked and chained and cutting. And we all know the problem was on the inside. 
The reason why Mark takes time to give that description is to say this is what was happening on the outside and all the big doctors are sitting there trying to figure out whether to give him Adderall or Paxil. And they're looking, and yet uh, Jesus comes. He doesn't see the problem on the outside. He knows the problem's on the inside. Something's wrong with that brother's soul. Adam Clark said, the life or spirit is exhausted, weary, troubled, anxious, worn down with care and toil. A man by the name of John Flavel said, if the soul be lost, the man is lost. See, I know there's a lot of people here. There's some people here right now. I'm preaching to you. Because you got everybody fooled. Because, because they can't see it. You're, just, you're doing a really good job of trying to cover up, but your soul is dying. You've become obsessed with your parents. Because you know if they could look inside, it doesn't look good. And so we have in our text a soul restorer. He restores my soul. Jesus doesn't just care for lost souls. He cares for sick souls. This is what we're doing this morning. What we are on the inside must be most important. Otherwise, it will be overridden by what happens on the outside. I put this sermon together just after the hurricane down in South Florida last year, Hurricane Ian. And one day, Yolanda and I were looking at uh, some footage. They were, you know, they were driving down the road. And they were showing you all the debris and all the destruction from the hurricane. But I had, couldn't help but notice that in the, the view, even though they were showing us the destruction, that nearby there were structures that were standing. There were buildings that were, st- were fine. And, and you're like, okay, well, what happened? How, how come all this fell and this didn't? Well, the reason it had to do with how they were built. You know, we built a building here recently, you know, and there are certain uh, things. San Antonio is uh, uh, 150 miles from the water, but uh, there's still, they factor in that a a hurricane could hit. And by the time it gets to us, there could be uh, wind factors and and everything we did. And the reality was one building stood because it was built to withstand what happened on the outside. When you build your soul, you build to withstand what happens on the outside. You let God do something powerful inside of you. And so the question is, what damages the soul? How does a person's soul get to the point that it has to be restored? I'm going to give you a couple of reasons here. Number one is unrealized expectations can weaken your soul. Galatians 6, 9, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. That word faint is an important word because it's not necessarily referring to passing out, but it has the idea of getting loose, the idea of untying a knot. You got to remember back in those days, uh, men, uh, uh, you know, they, they wore robes or gowns, if you will, and they had, uh, they had a rope around it, and they would tighten that up, um, and uh, that meant uh, they were ready to go out. Uh, if they were going to run, they would reach under, grab the back part, pull it up, and then they would tie it together, and it meant you were ready to do business. Uh, and so when it's talking about fainting, it literally means to be loose the rope. It's kind of like loosening your belt or untying your tie. It's, it's kind of like, I'm just kind of relaxing now. I'm not going to be sharp anymore. 
I'm not going to be on top of things. I'm, I'm going to relax. And the idea here uh, is, you know what? I'm no longer uh, ready for battle. I'm no longer ready to, to uh, attack. I'm not giving it myself. I'm going to kind of do things, uh, uh, you know, kind of back off, go get a little casual. You know what? The world does not always reward right doing. And I tell you, the Bible says that it is possible that when you do right and you do not see the results of what you're doing, after a while, that can do something to your soul. You can begin to faint. It's not on the outward. It's on the it's something inside of you. Quit trying. You quit contending. You quit believing. You quit trusting. Something's happened to your soul. I went to preach for Kevin Foley last year. And uh, he sent a couple of young men to Portland to pick me up. A couple of young pastors. And I really enjoyed it. Great young guys. And this one brother said, Pastor, I got a story for you. And so he told me this story. He said that, that he had gotten saved in this church uh, in our fellowship when he was around 18 or 19 years old in this, in this town. And, uh, and, uh, and uh, he, he you know, started to go to church there. And he went and visited his grandmother who lives in the town. And he said, Grandma, I want you to know that I've become a Christian. I've gotten saved. She goes, well, where are you going to church? He goes, I'm going to the potter's house. She said, the potter's house? She said, you know, when, when you were a couple years old, the backstory is this young man's parents were drug addicts. He was orphaned, and he went to live with his grandmother. And she said, do you know that when you were living with me as a baby, in the same apartments were the young couple that was started that church? And he's like, really? She goes, yeah. She goes, I used to go there. And she said, many times when I had to go to work, they babysat you. And she said, I'd come home uh, and they were laying hands on you and praying for you as a baby. Now, this couple had moved on. Here he is. 18 years later, he gets saved and discipled. He's now a pastor. And he said that he decided he wanted to track this couple down. And so he began to look around. Finally, he got a phone number. He called this man. Hey, are you so-and-so? Yeah. And then he said, listen, my name is this. You don't remember me. He goes, but when I was a baby, my grandmother says that you and your wife used to babysit me and used to pray for me. I want you to know that I have got saved and discipled, and I'm now pastoring. And this young man on the other side, he's waiting, and this, no, no, there's no response. It's quiet, and finally the guy says something to the effect of, I'm glad it worked out for you. Click. And then he investigated and found out that they're not even married anymore. They're backslidden, bitter, because in their mind nothing happened. Something happens to your soul starts loosening there are such things as soulish sins all sin is damaging to the soul but there are sins that target the soul i want you to tune in wake up the person next to you right now you know uh i am not a techie i don't know a whole lot about computers or anything like that i had to call one of the nerds to our church to confirm this <laughs> but um my first computer, I purchased a 286 in 1991. And that 286 was a DOS computer. 
Are you old? You know who's old? Just listen to the guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, 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 that guy's old. And, and, you know, so there were no windows. You had to put in, you had to type in commands. WP, word perfect. And you had to, you had to do that. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a handle on how I wanted to communicate this. And, and so I called uh, uh, one of the guys and I said, look, you know, okay, my first computer, you know, and he's the guy's like 27, what? You know, and, he's, and I told him about 280, what? And so anyway... He, we, he, we started talking, and I, and I said, okay. And he goes, Pastor, that, that's still on your computer. You just don't see it. You turn it on. Now, it's just a bunch of icons that any person can just click on. <laughs> but back in the day, you know, you had to know a, a little bit more. But, but he said, no, no. He goes, that's there. And I said, well, th- I want you to answer me this. He goes, Where's the real power in controlling that computer? He says, it's in, the, it's in the command prompt. It's getting past the windows, and you get to the command prompt, and he says that when, when hackers want to come into your uh, computer and they want to corrupt your computer, they go into that. That's how they mess with your computer. And if they want to take over your computer, they do it right there. And so when he said that, I said, that's exactly how I want to communicate what I'm saying. There are sins, listen to me, that get to the command prompt in your soul. They do more. And I'm telling you by the Spirit of God this morning, there's some people here, you've prayed, God, why do I keep struggling with this? I want to help you this morning. Because they're soulish. They get behind the windows and they begin to get involved and they begin to corrupt and want to take over. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And it's referring there, the word against, it means to enter. There's something deeper. We all know that verse. Every preacher here has preached on that verse. And I get, uh, you know, the chemical and hormonal issues. I'm not talking about hormonal issues. I'm talking about the soul. Because the scripture says very clearly to us that uh, joining yourself to a harlot is far beyond just a casual sex with a prostitute. In other words, you are messing with the innards. You're messing with things that are down deep inside uh, and they have a powerful effect. This is something that many people do not understand uh, or recognize uh, anymore, that this does something to you. One of the things that I I say to people, anybody here ever gone home and had your house broken into? That's a bad feeling, isn't it? Your home is safe right now. Get back to the sermon. But (laughs) some of you are like... But when you go home, I've had it to me happen twice where Yolanda and I have gone home and the door was open and they'd gone inside. One time they took almost everything. And, and when you, when you, you know what bothers you is the violation, the property. You know what really bothers you is they were in your personal effects. They went into your room. They went through your, your uh, 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 cabinets. They, they, and there's like this stranger was messing with your personal stuff. I want to tell you when you fornicate, you let a stranger mess with your personal stuff. Something happens. 
something gets to be altered inside of you. Let me give you a quote from one of the, uh, 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 I better be careful what I say. I don't want you all to get uh, kicked off. Um, Let me give you a quote from Joe Biden. He said this a few months ago, transgender Americans shape our nation's soul. One of the dumbest comments I've ever heard. You know, these, these, these speech writers think that they put the word soul in the speech, it sounds heavy. Well, I'm going to tell you, transgender people's soul are totally messed up. That's why they're transgender. Witchcraft messes with your soul. You open the door to witchcraft, you, you know, the curandera or, or whatever uh, uh, you're into here, you know, uh, you, 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 you go in and you think, oh, no, you know, just, you know, I'm just curious, you know, I'm going to discover uh, the raza, I want to find my roots, you know, you know, and, and, and you start messing with this stuff. Uh, I want to tell you, it messes with you, and I want to tell you that the, the biggest problem with uh, 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 witchcraft today is marijuana. Marijuana is witchcraft. You need to, if you don't get that, you better go and find out. If you think marijuana began with Cheech and Chong, it's been around a lot longer than that. Oh, Pastor Ruby, it's like Tylenol. No, it's not. It's witchcraft. I'm not going to go into all of that, but you'd be surprised. I have some young men that I saw born. I've dedicated. Uh, I love these boys. Uh, and they're now uh, 21, 22, 25, and they got that freaky hair, and they don't groom, uh, and they look like slobs. Uh, and they'll come and they'll say, Pastor, I, I, if it wasn't for the marijuana, man, I'd serve God. That's how powerful marijuana is. It's witchcraft. I have to uh, move along. The third one is rebellion. Rebellion is witchcraft. In fact, I think that's kind of somewhere in the Bible. First, first Samuel 15. Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. Okay, what is it? You mean, you know, because I don't agree? Because I don't agree? No, it has nothing to do with agreement. Rebellion is you know it's God, but you don't care. That's what rebellion is. Blasphemy. It is when you know something is God, you know it's God. You know that man's a man of God. You know that church is from heaven. You know your life was changed. Your own words testify to that. And now, because you got your feelings hurt, and now you know, I don't, you know, I'm a man and all that. No, no, that's witchcraft. You ever dealt with somebody that you know, they can't keep their heart right? You know, I've pastored in San Antonio for 35 years. And over those 35 years, like every three years, they, the same guy, I just want to forgive you, you know, and I, just, I haven't been right, and sorry, and I love you, pastor. And then three or four, hey, hey I, I just want to let you know I forgive you. Uh, and they can't keep their heart right. Something's gone wrong in here. See, the promise is he wants to rebuild our soul. Same one who said that I can guide you, prepare a meal before, uh, for, uh, in, the, in the presence of your enemies. I can anoint your head with oil. I can make your cup to run over. I, I can do all this stuff. He says, I can remodel your soul. I can get in on the inside and I can begin to help you. Literally, it means to return to its original state. 
The psalmist said, Psalms 41, 4, I said, Lord, be merciful to me. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. One of the men in our church who works pest control was telling me that. He goes, Pastor, I go to these neighborhoods, beautiful neighborhoods, immaculate uh, front yards, you know, hedges trimmed, everything nice, uh, little fountains. I park, I go inside, uh, and that house is a total wreck on the inside. All they cared about was what the neighbors think. All they cared about is someone that would drive by and say, oh, that's so pretty. But yet he says, when you walk in, and, and he made this observation that I thought was so interesting. He says, it's like you go inside and you'll see a wall and there'll be a stain on the wall and you can tell it's been there for years and they, they don't do nothing about it. They'll have some, some broken piece of furniture and it's right there, you know, and one of the legs is missing and, and different things that are going on. And, and, and it's like, he goes, and yet on the outside, everything's perfect. Uh, but on the inside, this is normal. This is this how you roll. This is our life. They don't even realize that this isn't the way things are supposed to be. It's possible this morning here in church, great conference, and yet there's something inside of you. It's not supposed to be there, but it's been there so long, you think that's the way things are supposed to be. Let's talk about being a soul survivor and we'll pray. You're going to have to make your soul the priority this morning. The basics of the Christian life, prayer, reading our Bible, going to church, and serving are exercises for our soul. They have nothing to do with how we feel, what is convenient, or what is comfortable. You know, the other day, my assistant picked me up for an early morning flight. It was probably 5.30 in the morning. We're going along the, uh, the main, one of the main freeways through the airport, we drive by, and I notice a bunch of cars. That's rare at 5.30 in the morning, but there must have been 30 cars in the parking lot in front of a gym. These folks get up real early to get in their workout, take care of their body, because shh, I'm disciplined. Shh, I'm disciplined, man. I'm messing around. Got my protein drink. You know, I got my headband. Got my steroid. <laughs> For their body. You know why we get up early in the morning and go to prayer? Every morning? For our soul. If you, you can make it to the gym and you won't make it to prayer, I think you need to think about where the priority ought to be in your life. Jesus said it this way. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. We always use that with sinners. Hey, bro, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, man. He didn't say that to sinners. He said that to a church. And he said it to a church who said of themselves, we are rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing. We're a good church. You see our church, man, we have a beautiful building and we have great song service, you know, and our pastor's so funny. And, uh, you know, we have, you know, and they, we, you know, we have this great ministry and here's our leaflet, and here's our website and our app. And, uh, and uh, you know, and, and, and we're rich, we're increased with good. And he says, you're poor, blind, wretched, miserable. 
In other words, they were oblivious to the Christian people. First century Christian people were oblivious to their soul. They really thought we're doing good. Got a lot of people. Got a lot of, we must be doing good. Got a lot of people coming. We must be doing good. Got money in the bank. We must be doing good. And Jesus says, you're poor. In other words, nothing's happening on the inside to religious people. And he says, I want to get inside you. I want to get inside you. I want to go down and, and do something deep in you. What a terrible thing. What a terrible thing, church. If we come here all week, shake hands, hear a few good sermons, uh, and you get on the plane and you realize I'm the same guy I was when I got off the plane coming here. Hebrews 10.39, we are those who believe to the saving of the soul. Our responsibility is to say, God, touch my soul. Forget about all the, whatever's happening on the outside. I need you to deal with my soul. I close right here. I um, um, had a man in my church, great guy, who um, he was a Marine, a Korean War Marine. Tough guy, man, Mr. Medrano. And um, Mr. Medrano came in later in life. He had nine kids. I, I, his wife just recently had a stroke. And she told me they have 55 grandchildren. And, uh, you know, this, this brother was like Jacob. And uh, <laughs> anyway, he, um, Mr. Medrano, a great blessing in our church for probably 20 years. As a young man, he was a boxer. And, um, but just a great man, disciple, uh, uh, usher. One of those, if, you'd have, if you'd been to our church back then, you would have seen him. Anyway. He went in to have a procedure, and we, we, went, we prayed for him before he went in, but uh, in post-op, he had a stroke, massive stroke. So now he's in ICU, on a ventilator, and we would go in and check on him, and, you know, you could tell this, this probably is going to be it for Mr. Medrano. You know, they must have taken him off the ventilator because I was in there, and I was with him, and a couple of other men were there with me, you know how it is, you're, you're talking in their ear, you're, you know, you're saying things in faith. But the most interesting thing happened, I never forgot this, he, he was there, you know, he's in a coma. And then all of a sudden he goes, Shalaba Keleman, Dikorobo Keleman. And uh, I was like, hey, Mr. Medrano, and I'm trying, and he's not responding. Shalaba Keleman, Dikorobo. And then the nurse says, yeah, he's been doing that. And I mean, I never forgot it because, you know, what I thought to myself is they say that when you're in the comatose state, your subconscious, the inner you is coming to the front. And I thought, here's this man, when it's all said and done, stripping away everything else in his life, the one thing he had was his soul. And that soul loved God. That soul was full of the Holy Ghost. And I, and, I, and I said, oh God, oh, God, let that be my soul. God, let what's down on the inside be Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's bow our heads right now.